0: we are getting over and i am the silver king adam silverstein here to lead you through these hard times that with an aew edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast that's right getting over is back we're doing a very special three show week and an all aew edition of the podcast due to scheduling and, and the way AEW has been on television over the last couple of weeks. It's thrown things here into chaos. So on today's show, we will be breaking down not one, but two episodes of AEW Dynamite along with AEW Rampage from last Friday. And we're going to do it in the style of our normal WWE episodes. We will have a main event and an entire The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly segment. I figured, hey, look, if we're going to talk about five hours of television, we might as well do it that way. So I thank you all for joining me for the third time this week. Of course, on Tuesday, we had our WWE episode. Make sure you go back and listen to that if you have not already. On Wednesday, our analysis of NXT Halloween Havoc, the first special event put on by this new era of NXT. Please make sure you listen to that. If you have not, and of course now we are back today with AEW. By the time next week rolls around, we will be back to our regular schedule, WWE on Tuesday, AEW, and NXT on Thursday. So thank you all for bearing with me. Now, before we get into today's show, of course, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review, let people know how much you love this show. And as I said on the NXT episode, the new trend here, uh, if you guys leave a five-star review and you write something out, we will read it live here on the podcast, a little bit of an extra incentive for you to do so. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverPodcast cast. Not only do we tweet about the shows all week and let you know when new episodes are published, but we love interacting with you guys, hearing what you think about the episodes, our takes uh, on professional wrestling, and of course, reading and answering your DMs and tweets here on the show and also on Twitter, um, you know, if it just doesn't work for the upcoming show. So please do not forget to follow us at Getting Overcast and interact with us. So look, uh, five hours of AEW television. I could give you some prelude about what I thought about the entire thing, but I figure, hey, let's just get into it. The Silver King is riding solo today. Vintage Chris Vanini, unfortunately, was a little bit too busy to do today's show. He will be back next week, hopefully for both episodes. Um, I could give you a prelude. The long and short of it is, I thought we got some really good AEW television over the last uh, however many days, like five days. You want to put it two Dynamites and a Rampage. Uh, The main event, the main match on Rampage was great. Uh, This past Dynamite was exceptionally solid. The Dynamite before on Saturday night, maybe not as good. Uh, But in totality, a lot of good wrestling on television. We're going to break it all down for you right now for the first time, starting with that special area we always slide into, the main event. and the main event of today's show it's actually a little bit more difficult to do this with AEW because they don't they they have main event you know storylines of course in their company obviously uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page is the main event storyline but that doesn't mean it gets the most time on television so you really need to kind of like work through things and figure them out so the main event today we're going to have two separate main events a two-parter a double main event one is going to concentrate on this whole deal with PAC Andrade El Idolo, Cody Rhodes, and Malachi Black, I almost called him Alistair. And the second part is going to focus on the AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament. Once we get through those two things, we'll move over to the good, the bad, and the ugly and talk about everything else that happened this week in AEW. So we're going to start with the Pac and Andrade El Idolo match from Rampage this past Friday. Everyone was barred from ringside as the reason for the rematch was Chavo Guerrero's interference last time. Pac opened the match with a corkscrew tope. Andrade came back later with an awesome torneo, and even later, three amigos. Andrade botched something on the ring apron, I'm not sure what it was. Pac did a hurricanrana into a chair outside, and a beautiful moonsault from the top rope outside. Andrade came back with a sling blade-like move on the apron, before jumping over the ropes and back for a DDT on the apron. Pac delivered a tremendous avalanche brain buster for a near fall. There was a great sequence with counters and reversals. Andrade went for his hammerlock DDT when Pac tied him up with an inside cradle for the 1-2-3. The lights immediately went out and Malachi Black appeared, spitting mist in Pac's face. He grabbed a chair and Arn Anderson came out, pointing a finger gun at him like, I can't believe we're still doing that. Cody Rhodes attacked and ended up on top. So the match itself was very good. It was definitely, at least it felt to me, a little bit overhyped considering it was taped, so it didn't really live up to my expectations as my expectations were. Were sky high and that's not anyone's fault. It's just how I felt going in considering the talk I heard about the match. It was also only 16 minutes and that doesn't mean you can't have a great match in 16 minutes because you absolutely can. But if we got another five minutes and we got a more decisive finish that wasn't an inside cradle and if we were able to enjoy the finish and soak in it rather than the lights immediately going out after it was over, I probably would have been giving it a higher grade here. Uh, so I'm gonna go with 4.25 stars and an A for the match. You know, the ceiling of it probably was five stars, right? Like you, those two could easily put on a five-star match. We just didn't get there and we didn't even really come close to that based on everything I just explained to you. And the other thing is I keep waiting for the mist from Black to lead to obvious changes that are followed through by the other characters. That does not seem to be happening. It seemed like it was teased and that they were going to go in that direction, but now it's just not really happening. Uh, what I will say, though, was coming out of Rampage, it was really cool to see Black and Andrade side by side. Um, for those of you who are longtime listeners of mine, when they had that WWE draft, not this one, you know, the one we just had, but the year before, and Andrade and Aleister Black both got drafted to Raw, I was so excited about the potential for Raw at that time under Paul Heyman largely because those two guys, I thought, wow, these guys can be moved into main eventers, they can have incredible feuds, and they can just run the top of WWE and really be the next two guys to get elevated. And now here we are over a year later, not only are they not in WWE, they're in AEW in the main event segment of Rampage. So I found that to be um, both funny and pretty depressing when it comes to WWE. Uh, So let's move over to Dynamite, I believe it was on Saturday. Uh, we had Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black, part three. Uh, Cody wore mostly black tights, which I found notable, which is why I'm noting it. Uh, nothing happened at the start of the match, but Cody hit crossroads off the ring apron into a table outside during commercial. Black and Cody simultaneously bladed outside while Arn stood in the ring, basically for no reason that I could tell. Andrade El Idolo then walked down with Arn doing a spinebuster to Andrade's assistant. Black then spit mist in Arn's face and Pack attacked Andrade on the ramp. Black hit a ripcord elbow and a beautiful springboard moonsault, but Cody caught him with a crossroads for a near fall, and the fans booed Cody. Black hit a coup de gras, and Cody immediately stood up. Then Black got a German suplex bridge for a near fall. Black hit Black Mass, and Cody took it and fell over the bottom rope. But as soon as Black, like, touched him to, like, drag him to do a pinfall, Cody just got up, I thought he completely no-sold it. Maybe he didn't mean to, but he did. Uh, Black missed a moonsault outside. Cody hit a Tope Suicida. Then he got a Cody Cutter, Crossroads, and Tiger Driver 98 for the 1-2-3, beating Malachi Black. So, man, I have a lot of thoughts on this. The first two-thirds of this match were awful. However, the action over the final third, it was tremendous. I just read it to you. I mean, that's really exciting stuff to watch in a wrestling ring. Andrade coming down didn't seem to make any sense as in that moment he didn't have any beef with either of them, Cody in particular. If anyone did have beef, it would be Pac getting misted in the face from Black on Rampage. He should have wanted to come down to hurt Black, but they didn't do that. Also, for a third match in the series here, there was basically zero promotion in terms of a video package earlier in the show, something kind of tying everything together to explain to you why this is such a big deal. Now, I know it's a big deal because I watch every week. Maybe people don't. You kind of want them to see this is not this is a third match for a reason. This is a feud that's ending in this spot for a reason. You want to make it feel like a big deal. And then you have Cody basically no-selling the Black Mass and winning because heaven forbid Cody lose a feud. Now, I know some of you may disagree with that, Uh, and, you know, stuff happened on Wednesday that maybe is going to change your mind about it, but the end of the day is Cody still won the feud. He still won that match, and it's basically the same booking as the Brody Lee feud with just one extra match involved. So while I respect those three minutes at the end of that match that were really exciting, this whole thing, the booking of it, it just really didn't work for me. For the match, I guess I'll go... 3.5 stars and a B. Um, It was really tough because of all of those elements I just mentioned to really give it a high grade. But when it did come down to it at the end, the, the match and the action was exciting. So let's move to Wednesday now. And Black cut a taped promo saying he didn't care about losing because he succeeded in turning the fans and dividing the Nightmare family. That flies directly in the face of the whole wins and losses matter mantra that AEW is basically built on. Now, sure, you could say this one individual character, maybe this guy doesn't care about wins and losses because he has a greater goal in mind, right? Um, And that's a, a similar mindset that we hoped as fans The Fiend had in WWE, where this guy, he doesn't need to go after titles, he just wants to go after people. But eventually, if Malachi Black is there for a long period of time... And he's winning matches at the rate he's winning them. He's going to be bumped up those rankings and he's going to be, you know, a top one, two or three contender and he's going to presumably want a championship. So if that's what he is going to want in the future, that means wins and losses need to matter now. Um, I guess he could change on a dime, but I found that to be interesting. So that was Black's promo. Cody later walked out in all black, tossed his shoes into the crowd and said, if fans want to boo him... Fine, but they must put it all in context and remember that AEW happened on his back. He's not going to go back on uh, the stipulation where he can't challenge for the world title, all that type of stuff. He admitted his wife was too hot for him, and both his brother and father are better wrestlers than him. Cody then said the easy way out would basically be to turn heel, but he loves the fans too much to do that. Cody apologized to the fans, the Nightmare family, and Arn Anderson. And I will say off the top, I love the promo. Like it was a very John Cena promo where I know you guys are booing me, but I'm still a good guy. So deal with it, like type of deal. Um, but it worked. It was it was Cody's best promo in like like a year, I think. You know, he had that really good string of promos back in the day that we really like bit into. And then he got onto all the other self-aggrandizing bullshit. And I really fell out of his promo style. This was kind of, Almost a back-to-basics type of deal, and I I love that from Cody. So after Cody cuts his promo, Andrade comes out and said the fans don't like either of them, but he doesn't care. Andrade said he made stupid choices, he being Cody, like the tattoo, which popped me because of course that's the worst choice almost anyone's ever made with a tattoo except for Mike Tyson. Fans did, you could actually argue this is worse than Tyson's tattoo because it's, Tyson's tattoo is just black lines, even though it's on his face. This is completely visible on a neck and it's an ugly logo. I digress. Uh, Fans did the woo uh, for Andrade when he came out. Andrade then said he could make Cody his little bitch. As he said that, the lights went out and Black appeared standing next to Andrade. Then Black missed Cody in the face and beats him down. Pac runs out to make the save. And then he taunts Black sitting in the middle of the ring cross-legged with double birds screaming at him. So... The elements of this, some of the elements, are pretty good. But the whole thing in totality, it's pretty convoluted. You have Black and Andrade seemingly aligned for no discernible reason. We have no clue why they are aligned or working together. You have Pac and Andrade still feuding, but Andrade stepping to Cody without stating a reason why he's going after Cody. There's already a Cody-Andrade match set for next week on Dynamite, And my presumption is that we're going to get a tag team match at full gear as a means of getting all these guys on the card together. But in order to do that, you need to create some type of relationship between Pac and Cody, of which there's none, and the same thing for Andrade and Black, of which there's none. Furthermore, Black's entire excuse for losing is that losing doesn't matter to him because he's challenging Cody. But Cody came out and basically tried to turn the crowd back to him. So Cody didn't embrace the, the losing and the booing and all that type of stuff. Like I said, he did a John Cena-esque promo in terms of admitting his own faults and pandering to the crowd. So that means the match result I criticized earlier about Cody winning deserves that criticism because as of right now, at least, it's not resulting in change. Now, do they alter Cody's character in the near future? Maybe, and if they do, I will pull that criticism back. But I'm very mixed on the entirety of this booking. It seems like there's good groundwork and like the base idea for it is exceptionally strong. But for some reason, the way it's being executed and coming together, I, it creates all these questions for me that I wanted to lay out for you bit by bit. So strong elements in totality. I am curious to see where we're going with this entire thing. And if it does result in some type of character change for Cody, Wearing black instead of you know, blatant American flag colors isn't necessarily a character change, right? Um, if they do more than that, as we got glimpses that they might, when Cody uh, elbowed the referee and did this and that, okay, then maybe we might be headed in that direction. But Cody didn't do anything like that in the match with Black. It was a very clean match. Cody won by basically hulking up by doing the John Cena uh, and eventually overcoming black and everything he had to offer. And, you know, that's nothing I or I think anyone really wants uh, from Cody, particularly when it comes to a feud with Black, a new guy in the company who should be going over and winning and being pushed. Oh, he's being pushed, but pushed to greater heights within the company is what I'm saying, especially if they're soon going to be a face champion, potentially in Hangman Adam Page. So with that, let's move to the AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament. This is the second half of the main event. On Rampage, we had Orange Cassidy against Powerhouse Hobbs. Orange came out with taped ribs. Uh, this was a very slow match, Hobbs taking Orange apart bit by bit. Hobbs physically moved the referee, and Orange caught him in a mousetrap pinning combination for the win in eight minutes. This was bad booking and a bad decision. Uh, Hobbs absolutely should have won, given Orange had the rib imagery as a built in excuse. Beating a dude like Hobbs in the semifinal would also have been more meaningful for you know John Moxley than simply taking out an already injured Orange Cassidy. The only explanation is that if they're turning Mox heel, they need him to annihilate a face Orange in order to solidify that. And if that's the case, I get it. But I still just I would have put someone else in the spot of powerhouse Hobbs rather than have him you know lose to an injured Orange Cassidy. Either way, it was a bad match and a bad segment that I don't want to think about again. After I finish. Uh, On Saturday, we had Daniel Bryan against Dustin Rhodes on Dynamite. Tony Nese was shown in the crowd. He was shown in the crowd during three different matches over the course of the last two episodes. He's reportedly signed there. Okay. I like the premier athlete. Um, I don't know what he brings to the table or why they feel like they need to feature him in this way. Uh, You know, it was really special when NXT did this during takeovers. AEW just throwing Tony Nese in the crowd. I don't know what that accomplishes, but hey, maybe there's a plan that I don't know about. Uh, Brian hit a superplex on Dustin. Dustin hit a flying clothesline for a near fall and escaped a label lock attempt. Brian countered Dustin's uppercut into a backslide for a near fall and stomped on his face. Dustin countered Brian's rolling corner kick with a clothesline and hit a pile driver for a near fall. Brian then locked Dustin in a guillotine with body scissors for the win. This was easily, without question, Dustin's second best AEW match to date. Of course, the best one being against Cody. And Danielson was once again fantastic, just like in WWE, banger after banger every time he gets in the ring. This was on pace to be a tremendous match if it went longer, but it was still four stars and an A-. Really good stuff here. Also on Saturday, we had Eddie Kingston against Lance Archer. Kingston attacked Archer during his entrance and Archer chokeslammed a planted fan into Kingston. Archer missed a moonsault and straight up landed on the top of his head in a very frightening spot. Trainers checked him, He rolled back into the ring with Kingston rolling him up for the win. This match, it did start hot. And obviously, Archer's botch and near serious injury, luckily he's okay, uh, made it impossible to judge. I was shocked it continued at all. I could not believe the trainer allowed him to go back in the ring and get rolled up after barely checking on him. Didn't seem like he did a concussion test. I mean, just call the match if Kingston's going to win anyway. Why do you need him to roll him up? Regardless, um, I was shocked it continued. I've never seen anyone land on a moonsault like that. And I'm just very happy he's okay. On Wednesday, Brian and Kingston cut promos at each other. Kingston talked about needing meds to keep him stable. Brian said Kingston and Mox are two of the toughest guys in the world, but he's going to prove he's better by beating both of them. Really solid stuff here in this promo segment. I absolutely loved it. Also on Wednesday, we had John Moxley versus Ten in a quarterfinal match. Uh, On Saturday, Mox cut an interesting promo that was tough to put into context other than him being confident he would win the whole thing. In this match, Mox immediately German suplexed 10, ripped his mask in half and bit him in the face. So of course, 10 bladed because God forbid something happens in AEW without blading. Mox then hit the paradigm shift for the win, rolled out of the ring and immediately left. The idea of Mox being in this man on a mission type of role and just running through people, it's great. It sets up a potential heel turn. I don't know if they go all the way with it, but if they do, it would make a lot of sense, especially if he ends up being a heel challenger for a face champion. The blading was completely unnecessary, but Mox versus Brian in the final, that's gonna bang whenever it happens, I assume at full gear, uh, after Mox just kills Orange in the semifinal match, and I assume Brian goes ahead and beats Eddie Kingston. So this tournament... Um, It's not, to this point, it has not been a great tournament in totality, obviously based on the matches I just read you, but Brian and Dustin absolutely positively ruled. Uh, And I am excited, of course, for the semifinal matches should both be really interesting. And if we do get Mox and Brian at full gear, as I think we all expect, I mean, that could be match of the year caliber potentially, right? So that's all going to be extremely interesting. So with all of that out of the way, it is time to move into our next segment here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So we are gonna break this down more by segment than by show. It's so much happened that connected uh, to other feuds and programs. I'm just going to kind of talk about things in their own little cells, in their own little buckets, uh, and and try to run through it here best that we can. On Saturday, uh, Kenny Omega and the Elite said, tagging with Hangman Page for a year felt like Halloween because Hangman was cosplaying and Omega carried the entire team. He said, if fans really know Hangman, they would not chant cowboy shit, but rather coward shit. Hangman later told Dark Order they should wear costumes against the Elite and didn't even mention Omega in his promo. It was a decent promo from Omega. It actually came across really scripted, which was weird, uh, but it was good. And Hangman suggesting the costumes in the moment was irrelevant. It ended up paying off later. Also on Saturday, we had Jungle Boy against Brandon Cutler. Jungle Boy won in one minute with the snare trap. Then he called out anyone from the Elite, as he put Cutler back in the snare trap. Adam Cole answered and went to fight him. When the Young Bucks caught him from behind with a double superkick and a BTE trigger, Cole then hit a last shot, and they threw him off the stage into a cushion table. I was ready to dog the match because it was really ridiculous, but the post-match was well done, and my presumption here is we're going to get, I guess, a Jurassic Express versus Young Bucks rematch at full gear, or maybe a six-man at full gear, something like that. Um, But I'm sure we're going to have this match again. On Wednesday, we had the Elite versus the Dark Order in the main event of the show. I believe it was an eight-man tag team match. Uh, They all wore costumes with the Elite dressed as Ghostbusters. Nearly the entire match was comedy shit. It was another Rick Knox special where tags just did not matter. The Elite never seemed to leave the ring. All four dudes were basically allowed to do whatever they wanted the entire time. John Silver got his normal insane hot tag. Matt Jackson then accidentally super kicked Knox. Which popped me because he sucks. Uh, the elite then did simultaneous low blows, four of them. Uh, used their proton packs and power bombed Colt Cabana into those proton packs, and then did a four-way BTE trigger into Brandon Cutler in a horse costume. They didn't know it was Cutler until the mask re- was revealed, or the uh, head was taken off. Suddenly, the stay puffed marshmallow man at ringside jumps into the ring, reveals himself to be Hangman Page, and I literally laughed out loud because it was hysterical the way he took off the mask and the facial expression he made, and then seeing a guy wrestle in a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man costume, it was legitimately funny, I will say. Uh, Paige hit Deadeye on Omega, and Silver did a spin doctor on Matt and for the 1-2-3. Honestly, I was putting down just a full set of notes for criticism of this. I was ready to give the entire thing a bad, all the way until the final minute. The deal with Cutler and Paige was so damn funny to me, I laughed out loud. And if you get me to laugh out loud as a professional wrestling TV show, you at least get partial credit for good. So that part of it was good. I will say though, and you guys know this, the match for me, it just, it's not my type of match. It's not the wrestling I like in any way. I hated the match itself and how these teams wrestled together, the elite and the dark order, specifically those two teams. So overall, yes, the match gets a bad Um, I'm not gonna be too harsh on it though, because like I said, ultimately, it did make me laugh in one part. Uh, let's move on. On Saturday, MJF interrupted an interview before Sting could address Darby Allen's status. MJF got STFU chance, you guys know what that means. He insulted the Florida crowd and called Sting a bad person because he never has his friends' backs. He blamed Sting for Darby's injury and called back to Lex Luger's injury back in WCW. Sting got shots on MJF until Wardlow attacked, and Sean Spears. Wore out 62-year-old Sting with a chair. MJF then sat in a chair, held Sting's head in his hand, and screamed at Darby. Sting finally stood up as MJF was exiting, so MJF came back in, hit him with the dynamite diamond ring. Later, Wardlow confronted MJF about shoving him in the line of fire last week. MJF made excuses for it, saying he was wrong, and then paired Wardlow with Spears so he had an accountability and less heavy lifting to do as MJF's bodyguard. So what's really interesting about this for me is this feud has completely revitalized MJF on the mic. The extended deal with Chris Jericho and Inner Circle, it got really boring and repetitive and no one was really hurt by that more than MJF because he wasn't able to show his creativity. The first half of this segment on Saturday wasn't that special. But MJF's closing promo was exceptional and it continued his tremendous level of heat that he is able to generate. It also did a great job selling the full gear match with Darby Allen, And then the stuff with Wardlow on the side, that continues to be intriguing as we wait for that one day split to come eventually. So this was absolutely a good one. That was a good one, yeah. And then on Wednesday, we had MJF against Bryce Donovan in a squash match that MJF won with the Heat Seeker in 30 seconds. It was, by the way, his fifth AEW singles match of the last 10 months. So just put that into context. MJF called Boston a shithole. So he fully crossed over to babyface for me uh, in that moment, because there's maybe no town in this country I hate uh, more than Boston, Massachusetts, really the state of Massachusetts as a largely a New York fan, uh, Yankees and Knicks, in case you guys did not know. Um, But he also got a lot of cheap heat from all of that. He said Darby was too scared to show up for work and wanted the world champion after Full Gear, no matter who it was. Sting's music played, but it was a ploy by MJF. Then the lights went out, and Darby put some dude in an MJF mask through a table in some video at what looked to be like an underground concert or something. I just don't like any of those Darby videos. They're they're so weird and just out of context. Sting then appeared with a bat, and Darby showed up in a mummy mask in the crowd. Uh, he had thumbtacks on a skateboard. They took out Spears and Wardlow as MJF ran away. As I said a moment ago, This feud has totally revitalized my interest, not just in MJF, but also in Darby Allin after a long period where I just stopped caring that much about either of them. Really, really good work by AEW for this entire feud, both of these segments across Dynamite on Saturday and again on Wednesday. On Saturday, we had Bobby Fish fight Anthony Green. Two former NXT guys in this match. Fish hit a basement clothesline, exploder suplex into the ropes, and last rights kick for the relative squash win. Fish beat the shit out of Green after the match until CM Punk eventually ran out. I still have no idea, by the way, why AEW signed Fish, other than him being Adam Cole's boy, and I have no idea why he's wrestling so frequently on television. It feels like he's on every show. Punk showing up randomly, it didn't help this segment, uh, his parading in the ring, Punks, lasted longer than the match itself. So this was just straight up bad. The Bobby Fish, Anthony Green. Just the whole thing sucked. On Wednesday, we had CM Punk versus Bobby Fish. The match was basically the crowd chanting anytime CM Punk did anything. Punk had a tope suicida, but got cut down on the ring apron. It was a very slow match with a lot of strikes and Fish working on the knee. Punk did an elbow drop. Fish countered the go to sleep into a dragon screw. After a failed jackknife cover, Punk countered an awkward... Uh, move into a GTS and then fish kicked out right at three as the finish. So he got the one, two, three, but fish kicked out as soon as basically the referee's hand came down. I enjoyed the storytelling in this, uh, working on the knee, selling an individual limb, uh, not being able to do certain moves. Punk at one point even did a one-legged splash or frog splash off the top rope, or it was the elbow drop. He did a one-legged elbow drop. Um, so I loved that. And the psychology of it, the storytelling of the entire thing. Despite all of that, the match was boring. Fish's kickout, I presume, was because Punk was delayed in covering him. So if that was the case, that's a pretty smart way to book that as well. So I'll say good here. I just would not have opened Dynamite with it. I know they wanted Punk. They want to get Punk right away and get people, you know, oh my God, CM Punk's on TV and then get them to watch the rest of the show. I get it. It was not a good good enough match to open the show. It was not one of those scenarios where AEW is putting its best foot forward. But ultimately, it was good, and I am giving it a positive review. On Saturday, the Men of the Year and Dan Lambert, really, it was just Ethan Page, cut a promo about inner circle sucking. Sammy Guevara said the only person who cares about Page is himself, and asked Lambert for the stipulations that we were teased with last week. He also called him a fat-faced dipshit. Lambert said they could have a 10-man tag team match at full gear. Only if Guevara puts the TNT title on the line against Page and leaves Inner Circle forever if he happens to lose the title. Sammy accepted as long as he gets to pick the American top team members in the full gear match. Then Inner Circle cleared the ring. This segment, it was terrible, delaying the stipulation only for it to be that completely fell flat. That's an easy bad. On Wednesday, we had the TNT title match though. Sammy Guevara against Ethan Page. Sammy kicked Paige's ass with a ton of energy before the bell. Sammy hit a great springboard cutter and then an incredible shooting star press off the top rope outside. Sammy then did an insane counter of Ego's Edge into a Hurakarana. He missed a standing shooting star press, but won with a jackknife cover. Page attacked after the match. Scorpio Sky ran down and Inner Circle came to make the save. Jericho made a masturbation joke and the crowd chanted, beat your meat. He then announced the 10-man match would be a street fight with the American top team decision coming next week. So rather than call this a great match, I'm gonna call it a great performance by Sammy because the dude is just incredible. Page was there more than anything as a foil for him to play off. Some of the spots were absolutely sick. It was either 3.5 stars or 3.75 stars, B or B plus, right in that range. Either way, an absolute blast to watch. And I suggest you seeing it if you did not. Page is underrated, by the way. As far as Jericho, this new promo style he's done for the last like three weeks or anything really with Dan Lambert, it's basically shit they would say in the Attitude Era. I don't hate it per se, but it's really all about cheap pops and cursing. And he is way better than that. Like Chris Jericho is one of the best dudes on the mic of all time. And here he is just cutting promos where he makes masturbation jokes and is throwing around curse words to get cheap pops. He's better than that. Um... Despite Jericho's promo, this was good. I'm still not looking forward to this American Top Team match and the stipulation of Inner Circle picking the five people wrestling in the match. There's only been five people that show up. So unless they're going to go and just get these huge names that have not been appearing and throw them in out of nowhere, then we already know the five people that are, you know, Dos Santos will probably be there. Masvidal will either be in the match or at ringside. Um, and the other people, I don't know their names, but I know their faces. So like who else is going to be in the match? I don't know. Maybe they'll surprise me. All right, moving on. On Rampage, we had Britt Baker, uh, against Anna Jay in a non-title match. Baker hit a twisting neck breaker for a near fall, but Anna caught her with a DDT for one of her own. They did transitions and pinning combinations with Baker breaking the Queen Slayer twice. Baker then hit a thrust kick and got the lockjaw for the win. This one's seven minutes. I wanted to mention something about the AEW women's matches. So, you know, my normal criticism is you get one of them per show, they're anywhere between seven to nine minutes, a double commercial break, and they're usually in the same spot. So AEW, to their credit, on Dynamite, they've actually moved the matches around a little bit. So they haven't always been in that, you know, seventh quarter hour, they've been pumping them up or or bumping them up earlier in the show. And that's really good that they've been doing that. But when you have a seven minute match like this, okay, and four minutes of it, happened during commercial break. It really is the equivalent of the shitty, terrible WWE three-minute matches. How long am I able to watch the women wrestle on television? In both cases, the answer is three minutes. So is it better? Yes, because the women get to work, the crowd gets to see them. Sometimes there's the picture-in-picture where you get that for 30 seconds. So it is technically more time. I'm not saying it's not. But it's really not that much better. Now, there's a match that happened on Dynamite um, this Wednesday that, of course, I'm going to praise up and down. Uh, But in terms of matches like this, which are the vast majority of women's matches, it's really not that much better than what WWE has given us when we criticize their three-minute matches. The difference with WWE is they also frequently give us the 17, 15, 19-minute main event women's matches, where AEW normally does not do that. Although on Wednesday, they gave us something pretty close to it. On Wednesday, Tony Schiavone informed Baker. Oh, by the way, that match was bad. I didn't get to say it. That that whole thing was bad. On Wednesday, Tony Schiavone informed Baker that she would have a trick or treat match with Abaddon where the treat was a title match if Abaddon won and the trick was a street fight stipulation. I kind of forgot Abaddon existed. I also don't know why Britt Baker, the women's champion, was put into such a predicament by Tony Khan Uh, you know, in kayfabe, Um, when she's the champion, she's leading the division. She didn't do anything wrong to cause this. So because of the lack of booking, and it seems like they're just doing it for Halloween only, I'm going to go say bad with that booking. Uh, Brett Charles Malam, at Brett underscore Malam, he said, people are constantly and sometimes rightly obsessed with time on WWE programming for women, but barely anyone says anything about AEW's top female star, Relegated to stupid backstage 15 second promos every damn dynamite. I'm sure the argument is they are trying to make Rampage a big deal by putting her matches there, but meh, it's not for me. You know, it's tough because AEW, it's a two hour show and they just have this mindset where they're only going to do one thing of, sub- of substance involving the women every show. And almost always that's a match in that quarter hour spot and if they're not doing that the truth is their men's roster is pretty damn stacked they got to make sure they get they get tv time i do think it's ridiculous that the majority of time we see Britt baker if you did it what's the median or what's the average appearance of Britt baker it is one of these 15 to 30 second backstage promos with tony shivani interviewing her and her crew and she says something maybe someone steps to her maybe they don't and then they and she does the dmd and moves on I do think she should be treated a lot better. No question. AEW is also in the middle of a TBS women's tournament where so far, as I'm about to give you, they've had two really good matches. So I think they can get a little bit of benefit of the doubt, but when it comes to the women's division and it comes to the women's title and the way they book it, it just hasn't been good. However, the TBS tournament, it was really a step in the right direction. So let's move on to that. On Saturday, we had Ruby Soho against Penelope Ford. The bunny came down two minutes in to distract Ruby, who later hit a thrust kick in Seguri and basement clothesline for a near fall. Penelope got a near fall after a cutter and another after a gut buster. Brass knuckles got thrown into the ring. Penelope got distracted trying to grab them with Ruby rolling her up for the win. Red Velvet saved Ruby from a post-match double team. This got eight minutes. It was pretty solid to start the tournament. I hated the finish. I don't know why Ruby needs a distraction in order to beat Penelope, and then wins via roll-up, which of course is what we talk about all the time with WWE women's matches. But this match, straight up, we have to be honest, was better than every individual Queen's Crown match and all of them combined. It wasn't as long as all of them combined, uh, which wasn't long at all, of course, but it was better than all of them combined. Uh, So how do you criticize this when we just went through that? Uh, I guess you could argue, well, Adam, you said that tournament, every instance of it was ugly. You could say this was bad. I'm not going to say that. I thought this was good. I didn't love the finish. Otherwise, the match was solid. Ruby moves on to face Chris Statlander in the quarterfinals. I think that's going to bang. Very excited about it. On Wednesday, we had Serena Deeb against Akari Ushida, also in the TBS tournament, Sheeta superplexed Deeb from the apron into the ring, later hit a missile dropkick and a delayed vertical suplex for a near fall. There were some good counters with Sheeta hitting a straightjacket German in a fairytale ending, plus the last shot, all for near falls. Sheeta jumped off the steps for a missile dropkick, and Deeb kept avoiding falls as she took Sheeta's knee out with the ring apron and did a, a figure four around the ring post. Deeb then caught Sheeta in a knee bar and an inverted figure four for a near submission. Deeb raked Sheeta's eyes, and then Sheeta counter detox rolling into a trap pinning combination for the win to get her 50th AEW victory in about 11 minutes. Deeb took out Sheeta's knee, beat on it with a chair, and put her in the serenity lock until five referees and Jerry Lynn got her to stop. The booking here, obviously, is that Sheeta's probably going to lose her next tournament match to Nyla Rose because she has an injured knee and can use it as an excuse. But everything about this match was top tier. The wrestling was awesome. The storytelling and psychology of the match plus the finish were great. If we had another five minutes, it would have been one of the potentially best women's matches of the year. Not the best, one of the best. Still, I'm going to go 4.25 stars and an A. Obviously, not just good, but great. These two can totally go. Obviously, there's going to be a third match. We know it. I welcome it when it comes. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. A couple more things before we get out of here. On Rampage, Pentagon was in the ring being interviewed when two dudes in the crowd had the lost Super screen masks. Penta got distracted by them and FTR attacked him at ringside. Then they beat up the manager and held the titles high until Pac cleared the ring. This was terrible. On Saturday, FTR said they like being AAA champions, but want the AEW titles from the Lucha Bros. Cash Wheeler said they're the greatest Bros of all time. Pentagon then said the Lucha Bros will show what it's like to play dirty. This was one of those deals where they did the taped matches, or the taped promos, yet we're still able to respond to what the others said. You guys know I hate that shit. On Wednesday, the Lucha Bros agreed to defend the titles at full gear. The match will be great. I gotta say straight up, the build to this entire thing for me, it's just absolutely terrible. Zero point zero. And then on Saturday, Leo Rush said he would mentor Dante Martin the way Matt Seidel couldn't, so he set up a tag team match with the Seidel's. I did like how simple the Rush storyline is now that they've gotten rid, I think, of the stupid LBO shit that they tried at the very beginning. It's a solid way to introduce someone and give them something to do in the low card without affecting much of the show. So I thought that promo was good. And then on Wednesday, apparently plans changed due to injury. So Leo explained the tag team match was off and Martin would fight Seidel one-on-one for the third time. So one trend in today's AEW breakdown, I don't know if you guys have noticed, and it's odd and unlike anything we've seen from them over the last two years, is there's been a lot of rematches happening recently in AEW. Martin Seidel, Cody Black three times, clearly Andrade Pac are headed for a third. Deep Sheeta are already going to get a third match. They just had a rematch. Even Lucha Bros versus FTR is going to get run back in short order. And let's not forget, we've already gotten a ton of pretty similar, if not direct rematches in the elite dark order feud, eight man tag, a 10 man tag, a a four man tag. I mean, it's, it's the same thing basically every time. So let's at least get away from the idea at this point that AEW doesn't do rematches or doesn't do them frequently because I just named six active feuds that are in rematch zone right now. The point is that rematches have always been okay. The problem in WWE is over-reliance on them, like what they did with Biggie and Apollo Crews and Damian Priest and The Miz and John Morrison, where they fought like six, eight, 10, 12, 14 times nonstop over a four-month period. That shit is ridiculous. If you have a singular rematch or a three-match series and it makes sense in storyline, that is perfectly fine and allowable. None of these being in rematch mode are particularly bad at this point but there's a lot of them happening all at once. It is worth noting, and it's largely worth noting because AEW made such a big deal about not doing rematches. We knew eventually at some point down the line, you're gonna have to have rematches as you go on because you can't keep adding to your roster every single year to a degree where you don't have rematches. But for it to be this soon and for there to be this many all happening on the same time, absolutely notable. So like I said, a very... Uh, good interesting week in the world of AEW it was nice to be able to break it all down in that style of our normal Tuesday show the WWE show with the main event the good the bad and the ugly as things transpire as schedules get switched around maybe we'll do this again in the future uh, or maybe just AEW developments on TV allow us to do this in the future even when we do have to shove NXT into the same show. But look, either way, I appreciate all of you listening to this breakdown of the week that was in AEW. As I said, we will be back on Tuesday with our WWE show and next Thursday with our AEW and NXT show. So as we slide out of here, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcast. Tell people why you love the show and why they should listen. Those reviews are very important for us. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. So with all of that out of the way, I will bid you adieu and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.